0: That's why she always outsmarted the killer in the big chase scene at the end. Only virgins can do that. Don't you know the rules? What rules? You don't. Jesus Christ! You don't know the rules? Oh, I have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Big the... oh! no, 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 big no. Oh, a dead man sex equals death okay number two you can never drink or do drugs no the sin factor it's a sin it's an extension of number one and number three never ever ever under any circumstances say i'll be right back because you won't be back i'm getting another beer you want one yeah sure i'll be right back
1: it was gonna always be a high bar to top the first one and going through each one we you did see progressively like you said it started to feel more like a struggle just because the first one you know it really just knocked it out of the park and just turned the entire genre kind of on
2: its head it who's it down to though is it down to Kevin Williamson or is it down to Wes Craven because Williamson is this huge Halloween 1978 fan he he wants to reinvent the the slasher genre and I mean it is just so meta and the the one big thing that that's different to most slasher movies is you don't know who it is until the very end
1: yeah, I was telling Marty this yesterday. It very much ironically, you know, that it had a Scooby Doo feel to it. It was I, like you didn't, you never know who was going to be behind. <laughs>
3: is that the reason Matthew Illard <laughs> went on to play Shaggy? Yeah, that's what it was. It had to be,
1: right? It's like there are no coincidences in this universe, but it was just, you never, they have this IP of Ghostface, but the Ghostface could be anybody, right? Jason's Jason, Michael Myers, Michael Myers, Freddy's Freddy, Leatherface is Leatherface. This was the few that, it always will be somebody different behind it, and that's let's let's find out who this which, really is. That's you have your Scooby-Doo which is kind moment. of interesting
3: because no other slasher uh film series would work that way. Remember, they replaced Jason for one movie, and everyone hated it. They did the Freddy Krueger, yeah. uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. They hey everyone hated that. Th- those characters cannot carry over into another uh actor, but this is essentially. Sort of like every movie is a uh, murder mystery and it's like, who's under the mask? It's just like you're saying, it's like Scooby-Doo. Right. But,
2: but but great minds think alike because <laughs> when I was watching Scream 1996, all I could think of, and I hadn't seen it in as many years, was Scooby-Doo. And there, and, and the other thing I couldn't get out of my head was Scary Movie, the parody you know, while I was well, <laughs> because it was so successfully parodied and, and so well done. And even the character of Tatum, who gets killed with the garage door, or as she in America would say, the garage doors, you know, she, <laughs> even, dressed, she even dressed a little bit like, um, what's her name in Scooby Doo, um, Daphne, you know.
1: Oh, Daphne. Yes, yeah, she did. Do- yeah, she yeah. very much did dress there, like yeah. she was.
3: there. There is a lot Daphne of meta jokes in, in there. And like, for instance, you know, that once, you know, there's one scene where, what is it? Rose McGowan's character is wearing like a football jersey. Um, That's also the same football jersey Johnny Depp is wearing when he gets killed in A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, I did think, not know that.
2: I think the best meta Easter egg in it, right, is at the end when Jamie Kennedy is on the coach and he's watching Halloween. And he's talking to the character in Halloween 1978. And he's saying, Jamie, look behind you. Look behind you, Jamie. (laughs) And he's talking to himself.
3: On so many levels. That's like meta within meta within meta. And, you you know, Wes Craven makes a little cameo there as Freddy Krueger. You saw that one, right? Yeah, and he was wearing a sweater too, right?
2: Henry Winkler's character comes out and, you know, someone's knocking at the door and, and... He just says something. Oh, it's just you, Fred. You
1: know, to answer your original question, I don't I think it was just a mat, you know, like mixing two elements and getting magic out of it. I think it was a little bit of both with Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven. Right. Wes Craven had the pedigree, but Kevin Williamson, you know, Mario, you were telling me he has this film background and he brought this really snippy. Quick-witted dialogue that he brought over from Dawson's Creek—that was very inside, very friendly to people who love films—and you just mix these two elements together, and I think that's why this first one worked so well. Well, I think,
3: like I said uh, before, the big thing was we were at the point where we'd already seen Jason X, we'd seen Jason Goes to Hell, so the slasher genre itself was really played out at that point. They'd taken it as far to go, and no one you what else, no one knew what else to do with it, and then this movie sort of takes the idea that slasher movies are old and worn out and makes it sort of the primary theme of this one, you know? And I think that's what really, that's something that really hooked people uh, with all the uh, movie trivia, especially at the beginning.
1: Yeah. They got their kayfabe back by basically acknowledging that the genre is worn out and they reinvigorated the genre by acknowledging that. Right. Right. And, and recreating it. Now, it was different, you know, especially in the first one. They really did establish this, you know, the ghost face killer. You know, there was always two killers, but it was a very it felt almost real. It felt very primal because all the killings were very sloppy and sneaky. There was a lot of literal backstabbings. There was a lot of jumping around. There was a lot of falling. Nothing ever seemed clean. Now, Grant, is this uh, Robert? L. Jackson basically was the performer behind that, the movements, you know, he was in, actually, he did scream, scream Two. He did all the scream films and he actually did season three of the series. So I think.
3: No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you mean. Ask that again.
1: (laughs) I just say it felt it to me. It's just like, it made it feel more grounded. It made it feel more real because obviously, you know, when Jason kills, it's very, cinematic so to speak where if I, if we were talking about this yesterday a fight in real life never looks as glamorous or as pretty as it does in like a boxing match oh, or a contained way where this is just very like if somebody like if two high school kids all of a sudden became killers it's not going to be super smooth like they're going to oops, I didn't stab you in the right spot or, oh, I fell when I was trying to do it. It would look very sloppy,
3: which in a way made it feel more real. Right, I see what you're saying. And like, it's also compounded by the fact that they're taking all these movies that people were terrified of 10 years ago prior and saying, no, no, these are only films. You know, these are just silly movies. This is actually real life.
2: Right. As you mentioned, the movements of um, Ghostface, um, there's one thing I wish they didn't do at the very beginning of the film was Drew Barrymore's character kicks him in the balls and he reacts to that you know um so we know straight away it's a man um or as, as a
1: oh, player, you, know? you know i never noticed i never even thought about mm-hmm. that
2: yeah and then when you're on about his movements like you know there is clumsiness there there's the the fight with him and um Tatum character in the garage where she's firing bottles of beer at him and as you say it's it's this very real reaction to it compared to this stunted reaction that will come from Jason or Michael Myers or someone like that so that's a very, I didn't think of it like that actually
1: yeah it just felt it didn't feel like less it's it's lack of a performance made it didn't made it not feel like a performance, and yeah. maybe that's what grounded it in reality. Uh, another one, and you know, sticking to just scream. You know, like you said, nineteen ninety six. Another thing that made it feel different is you got a lot of the stars of the time, right? You know, Courtney Cox was obviously already very famous for Friends. Then you had Nev Campbell in the role. And we talked about this yesterday, Mario, a little bit with Drew Barrymore, who was just coming back of just like having a creative resurgence and realizing, you know, getting away from that edgy person she was in real life. And she became very like girl next door feeling. And then they pull on Alfred Hitchcock like in Psycho and they basically kill her right in the beginning of the film to say that this is not going to be like any other film you've ever seen before
2: apparently she lobbied for that idea. She, she asked to be killed off and, and, and it certainly beat Hitchcock's record. Um, You know, I mean, you've got the prologue to the movie, whereas Hitchcock kills Janet Lee maybe halfway through the movie. I'm not entirely sure of what the timeline is, but, um, and she's on the poster. So it makes you think that when she gets killed in the prologue, that nobody is safe, that all bets are off when you're watching this film.
3: It's what you call in pro wrestling, a swerve to start to start the <laughs> movie, you know? And I think uh, I did hear a little bit about that. Um, her They actually offered her Sydney, but she couldn't do it for some reason, but she still wanted to be in the film. So she did. And then she took that uh, opening death part, which I think, like I said, it was just a stroke of luck that all these things kind of came together um, at once, you know?
1: Yeah, and and I think it worked. I mean, Again, maybe it was all this just, just lightning in a bottle. Decisions that wouldn't normally be made just escalated it, you know. We with the the swerve in the beginning. And like I was just saying, Mario, you said this before. Slasher films usually had very disposable actors, actresses in there that you didn't recognize. Now all of a sudden you got the girl from Party of Five and the Girl from Friends and one of the arquette, you know, the Hollywood family. All in there is just like wait a
3: minute these aren't disposable
1: characters,
3: <laughs> right? And the the most famous one is killed immediately, so you've got that you've got that sense of anybody could go.
2: The, the inclusion of 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 that, you know, in the beginning, like I say, is just it's as I said, all bets are off, and and then you're in, into this movie, and Nev Campbell was nowhere near as famous as 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 Drew Barrymore, and everyone, I I I think. If, if I have to go back and remember when I watched it in the, the cinema, what I came away with at the time was, without doubt, Matthew Lillard. Uh, Matthew Lillard made it for me. I just thought he was incredible. And he was funny. He was just off his box, you know? <laughs>
1: oh, absolutely. Yeah, his performance was was just very, again, very powerful. Again, we went from having very disposable characters in films like this and two very not only famous actors and actresses, but these other actors like Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, you know, Skeet Ulrich, they were just like, wow. They were just very, they already felt like stars even though you didn't know them yet. These weren't, you know, before it's just like, it's still kind of like just a party footnote that Kevin Bacon was in the first Friday the 13th. Did you know Jennifer Aniston was in Leprechaun, right? Mm. It was a big deal when you had stud. This film produced a bunch of people who went on to have really successful careers on it, just on the back of these this performance in a slasher film.
2: I, I think the only one who, who may be suffering a little at the moment is, is Jamie Kennedy. I don't think his career is un, unless they've brought him into the new movie in some way, shape or form. I don't know. Uh, we can only speculate on that, but I can I can concur on that. I think he's getting <laughs> there's some videos on YouTube where he's getting heckled
3: pretty badly on stage now and he's doing a stand up comedy locally.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's a pity. Because he's he's such a big part in that film. I I love that scene where um, Sidney Prescott escapes from the the cop car at the end in Stu's house. Right. And Stu and uh, Randy follow her up the, the drive, the pathway. And she doesn't know who's who. She's almost like Kurt Russell in The Thing. As oh, that was
1: great. Yes. It's a
2: brilliant scene, you know, Randy is pointing fingers at Stu, and Stu is pointing fingers at Randy, and, and it's brilliant. And you still have no idea what the hell is going on. I did it, Sid!
0: He did it! He did it, Cindy! Please, I didn't do it! He did it, please! Please, Cindy uh, fuck you both! Please. Oh, fuck.
2: It. It's like just reveal after reveal after reveal. But um yeah, as as Mario says, you know, to have Jamie Kennedy being heckled on, on stage. Um, it's it's terrible because that's a legendary performance.
3: I tell you what, though, I will I will say though, his YouTube page is pretty good. I don't want to bury him here on our show. He te- he tells a lot of stories of uh, '90s Hollywood and him coming up and working with Baz Lerman and Wes Craven. Um, he sort of just has a, 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 you know a little podcast there. It's worth checking out if you're a fan of uh, that genre and that time and place.
1: Yeah. And I know he went on to he started leaning a little bit more into comedy. Like he had the Jamie Kennedy experiment was basically, you know, the punk show. But Mm -hmm. his character in that film, again, was one of those lightning in a bottle. So important because he was the voice of slasher film fans. He was he was the voice and he's the one that really established that meta feel. You know, it's a meme now, right?
3: Everybody's a suspect.
1: You know, he was just basically he was the one for the audience explaining the rules, you know, for the for the smart marks that they would call in wrestling, the smart marks for the horror film. He's like, this is how this breaks down. And he was very passionate and animated in that. And that's what made that scene work so well, because he was truly terrified. And Stu was basically just trolling them because Stu, you know, let's face it, you know, Stu in 2022 is an online troll. Right. (laughs) And, you know, he would be trolling the. Randy character um for being such a film nerd and that worked really well
2: he's like a human wikipedia and um, you know that scene where um one of the guys on the couch says when do we get to see jamie's tits and he says not until 1983 in trading places you know <laughs> i think you know
3: i gotta say i think the character jamie what what's what's jamie kennedy's character name randy meeks do i feel like randy is inspired by sort of like quentin tarantino he was the video store movie nerd that knew all these, you know, f- all this trivia about films, fast talking, sort of high voice, high pitch voice. It was the time and place. Right. Tarantino had just kind of come out and gotten really big.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I and mean, that might have been uh, a nod to that.
3: It's also it's like Miramax, you know?
1: Yeah. And I mean, they yeah. basically had a very famous scene right there in a video store. Right when he was explaining the rules actually in a video store. I mean, how meta is that?
0: His body will come popping up in the last reel somewhere. Eyes gouged out, fingers cut off, teeth knocked out. See, the police are always mm-hmm. off track with this shit. If they watch prom Night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect!
2: It's, it's one of these films that you can go back on again and again and again, and there's an incredible amount of Easter eggs in it. Um, and it's just it's it's so so meta um so out out of the whole lot of them despite ironically the second scream having 81% on rotten tomatoes and the original scream having 79% um the original one is still my favorite
1: oh yeah no yeah. it it hands down it is the the jaws one of this yeah. franchise that the it was going to be really tough for any of the other films to get really close to it and then you said i don't know in a way scary movie might have become detrimental to that series because it was like you were basically parodying a parody <laughs> and, it, and you did it so well to the point where like you said you can mix up scream too and scary movie pretty easily.
2: It, it was very difficult to watch it, like I say, without thinking about Scooby Doo and uh, the scary movie franchise. But um, that's a brilliant point you make, Mario, about Quentin Tarantino. I never thought of that—that that Randy Meeks could almost be based off of Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, because he's just—he's—he's he's just incredibly encyclopedic, and and you want to see more and more and more of him um cuz he is like your living narrator as as you said earlier um uh jeff that he's he's the voice of the audience and he's just brilliant in it
1: yeah no he did a a really like i said it really helped elevate this film uh, so the first one i'm trying to find the box office
2: box office was 14 to 15 million was the budget and the box office uh, return was 173 million.
1: Basically the horror genre living up to the hype that if you get a horror movie with a cool gimmick twist, something you're going to get a monster return. No yep.
2: pun intended. Uh, but we, we, I think we we'll, we'll talk about box office returns because I have them all written down here. And uh, we'll talk about them at the end because um, there's, certain irony to these numbers and there's a few interesting things to um to talk about once we get as far as, as scream four um just the other thing uh, i would mention about um the original scream uh, before we move on to the next one is that like everyone was fantastic in it there was no bad actor in it I thought everyone from Henry Winkler to, you know, David Arquette et cetera, they were all just incredibly, you know, their are stereotypical roles from these Hollywood movies, the Hollywood principal, you know, the, the Hollywood slot, the Hollywood uh, final girl, all these, they were fantastic. But the chemistry between Skeet Ulrich and, um, and Matthew Lillard was just, whoa. You know, Oh, yeah.
1: No, they, they definitely did combine. They Voltroned into becoming a serious threat to this town. So I do have for before we'll do this for each film. Uh, I actually have the victim who killed them and the cause of their death. So we'll okay. go through that really quick. So we obviously this is the most important death of all of them uh, is the is the Maureen prescott kill which i don't think we saw or did we not see it in a flashback and we don't find out till later on you know maureen is obviously sydney's mother and then an affair that she may have had what really caused this first trilogy to even happen it really was at its essence about family dysfunction so they actually have Maureen Prescott as a victim of Billy Loomis and Stu Matcher. We don't know, but she was stabbed in, again. Here's those sloppy kills stabbed in the groin twice in the chest. And then once in the head, very, very
3: sloppy. I don't think that <laughs> that doesn't sound sloppy. That sounds intentional. Yeah. Because what was What was Billy's whole thing is that he was mad at Mar- because Maureen broke up uh, his parents' marriage. Right. Adultery. And
1: that's what, yeah, and that's what set them off. But I, I meant more of like, I guess they were trying to send a message rather than just like, I'm just going to find a way to make your brain turn off and your heart to stop. So it was, it was I guess erratic would be a better word. Because like, I'm stabbing you in the groin for a reason. I'm stabbing you in the chest for a reason. And then I'm stabbing you in the head for a reason. So kind of so then- reason, reason being
3: I hate you and I want you dead.
1: <laughs> yeah. When, and, and for these reasons.
2: <laughs> or be, because you're um, a promiscuous woman and you were having an affair with my dad. So I'm going to stab you in your sexual areas, if you will. You know? Right. Maybe, maybe that. Um, I, I didn't delve too much into that, to be honest. Um, I I suppose like Halloween, everything kind of happens on the anniversary, you know, the year later. It didn't really come into my mind until... You know, even though you've seen it, you still want to try and forget it when you're rewatching it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost kind of trying not to spoil it for myself by reminding me about what actually <laughs> happened. If that makes any sense,
1: they, that that became the motive that really just kicked this entire franchise off. And then it became kind of like that Hatfield and McCoy, just like, okay, and then I'm gonna get revenge. My family's gonna come and avenge me. And then a piece of my family is gonna come back and avenge you. Like the sins of the the parents are gonna fall upon upon the children.
2: Do you remember what Stu's motive was?
1: No, I don't remember what Stu was. If he was just what was his motive?
0: Peer pressure man (laughs) That's what he says
1: peer pressure
2: (laughs) He has some great lines in that film but I love that one you know and that one apparently where he says My mom and dad are gonna be so mad that's me doing shaggy by the way Um, (laughs) and was apparently was ad-libbed and Wes Craven said that's great just leave it in you know but um, that, that oh was wow, little, yeah,
1: that actually, that really was a great line. <laughs> it was a great line <laughs> when he when he did do that because he was. It was like he was very almost like a mix of almost like the Joker, where he's bleeding and he's laughing and he's crying, yeah. and it's all coming out at the same time. He's like, I think you stabbed me pretty deep. And then when you Billy know, hits him with
3: the phone, it's a shoot. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, that line when he's like, You you mean with the phone, you dick. It's like that was a shoot. <laughs> line. He really he really hit him with the phone.
2: I
1: didn't know that I, either. I heard and... that somewhere
2: as well, yeah. But um yeah, he he is just he's cracking in it. And do you know the other good thing about the ending is imagine making a line iconic that's already iconic. So when Skeet Ulrich says we all go a little mad sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and as I say, it's it's already iconic from Psycho, and he just makes it iconic the way he delivers it, the way he just taps the gun on his forehead, you know? It's brilliant. The the reveals at the yeah. end are just outstanding.
1: They just put a lot of stuff in there for anyone that a fan of, like, the horror genre.
2: Usually, like. A horror genre of fans' wet dream. That's what it is. (laughs) Yeah,
1: absolutely. Totally agree. It had, again, for for the sloppy and erratic kills, they all became memorable. And that is something that while you're in the experience or you're going for the audience pop, that is part of it. Um, So, I mean, to me, I thought the killing of Casey, Drew Barrymore's character, was brutal. And again, that was another one that really established that this is going to be different, that, you know, before you had these disposable actors, then you're going to kill them. It's going to be a memorable kill and then you're going to move on. But now you get to see basically Drew Barrymore after getting stabbed in the chest and the stomach and then they're dragging her across the grass and you see the blood bubbling and you hear the parents on the phone. So now you have parents empathizing in the audience like, what if that was my child? And then they show It's pretty close up when they show her hanging from the tree and she just looks, she just got decimated.
3: Yeah, and like I told you, uh, I was telling you yesterday, Jeff, uh, the opening shot of that scene is the swing hanging on the tree and then the ending shot is Drew Barrymore hanging from the tree in the same spot.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize that yesterday you said that, that they basically, you know, he bookended that scene with that shot. So with that cinematography. Uh, Then we had, you know, Tatum Riley. you know it was pretty memorable her getting that garage stuff pretty much made rose mcgowan's whole scene right because there's two things when you think of with her her walking into the garage and everyone's like wow this garage is really cold and then remembering her getting crushed (laughs) through that garage door (laughs) yeah i mean you remember that that's a that's a a pretty those two right there are pretty big gifts, And, you know, in 2022, if a scene, a movie you made 20 years ago, 30 years ago is a GIF, you know it's memorable.
2: I, I'm laughing because we know it was really called for one for two particular reasons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. And that the people that got that got Hollywood's attention for sure. You know, that got the audience. I mean, that really did blow up. Her that film blew up her career, but I mean her, and it, and it wasn't just that. Obviously, that was very memorable, and that helped. But again, her performance in that was really, really powerful. I mean, she did a great job. She got the orders, and she executed them.
2: It's very sad to see the way her career went, and, and what happened with her life. A lot of horrible, distasteful things happened. That woman.
1: Yeah, it's it's very unfortunate because she. Again, you you hate to do that because for for someone like that who's really. For us, especially, has brought so much joy in some of these films because I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I'm obviously I'm a huge fan of Grindhouse, and I thought her role in Grindhouse with having a leg for a machine gun, yeah. I I had that I had that poster for the longest time hanging there. It's just like how badass is that, you know? And so it is a shame that all the stuff that did happen, but you know, she was she was basically the one that helped lead the way to change things i mean she was a victim but she didn't take she didn't stay victimized she was one leading the charge
2: well she she is um an iconic woman for a multitude of reasons and and hats off to her you know and i wish her every good luck i think she's a marvelous actor
0: what movie is this spit on your garage lose the outfit if sydney sees it she'll flip oh you want to play psycho killer can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. Cut, Casper. That's rap.
1: Then we had, was Henry Winkler's character's name in that Arthur? Well, he, I know he was the principal. Principal himbry
3: Arthur himbry Arthur Fonzarelli is now Arthur Hembree. Also, there's a spot when he's in his office and he's, you know, he's uh, spooked and he's checking the closets and stuff. Uh, You see the uh, Fonzie jacket in there. Oh, what's the Fonzie jacket in there? The the (laughs) black leather jacket is in his closet.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. I see. I did not know that. And obviously he was one of the red herrings, too, right? That he was going to be one of the guys like you're wondering, is this principal the killer? Everybody's
0: a
2: suspect. One One of the really good red herrings in it is when you see the boots coming down in the toilet cubicle. Of Ghostface. And then you have the attack that happens in the bathroom and she escapes it. And then later on, Deputy Dewey makes a point about the sheriff smoking and he puts out the cigarette with a very similar boot. So that kind of, that's, oh, a really I, good didn't, I didn't notice that. As well. Yes.
3: Yeah. So, and those are kind of thrown out there and never answered. Which uh, I think is kind of interesting because, because of those things, and you also, for a while, you think it's uh, Sydney's father, right? We never find out what happens to him until the very end. So, with all these sort of like dangling suspects out there, it leaves it, it sort of like leaves it more open. You ne- to the fact that you never know who it is till the very last moment till they reveal themselves. You know?
1: Yeah. No, you're absolutely. Right. I forgot. Yeah, that was a really important distinction too. That Neil. Prescott her dad was always going to be a suspect because again this was about family dysfunction was this something that he was doing and then we also had the other the other red herring that was a pretty powerful red herring and actually became a really strong character throughout the just the trilogy was Liv Schreiber's character of Cotton Weary. Yeah. Who was another person who was, had an affair with Sidney's mom, and he was the one that was actually framed and went to jail for the murder of Sydney's mom. And that's how we got Courtney Cox's
3: character. Here's, a, here's a cool book. cool Cotton Weary Easter egg. If you look in that scene, there's one, you know, uh, Liv Schreiber's only in one tiny scene on the TV in the original Scream. And if you remember in all the other films, he had really short hair. In Scream, when he's shown on the news, he has the exact same hair as Skeet Ulrich has in the first screen. That's what that that's sort of like an Easter egg about how he could be mistaken or how Skeet Orwards could be mistaken for him.
0: Tell that to Cotton Weary. Wouldn't believe how easy he was to frame.
1: Obviously the reveal being Billy Loomis was getting revenge against the Prescott's for breaking up his parents' marriage. And then Stu was peer pressured, but Stu got a TV dropped on his face, you know which wouldn't mean anything right now because now TVs are like feathers. And then Billy Loomis, he took a lot of blows. But in the end, he was not officially dead dead until the killer comes back for that final jump scare. And then he went, ah, and then Gail Weather shot him in the head, which is basically what every audience member is always yelling. And when the killer is done and you're like, it's not done, just make sure they're done. And they basically acknowledge that by shooting him in the head.
2: It reminds me of Die Hard where Alexander Goodenough's character comes back and Bruce Willis kills him, you know?
1: That's right, they come back for for the final scare.
2: There's a lot of speculation that Stu may still be alive as it appears he's still breathing when the TV lands on his head.
1: But I always had questions about that death. Would it really be? And I obviously they added an explosion and you're like, yeah, it's possible, you know, on the circuit board, it's really holding a lot of voltage in there. So maybe he got electrocuted and it wasn't the weight of the TV, but maybe his face would have clearly been maybe smashed in. But to me, it always was a little bit of a, it wasn't a sure thing.
2: I'll be right back. (laughs) Let's
1: move on to the second one. Obviously Scream 1996 went on to make what was it? 173 million at the box office on a pretty low budget, you know, on that 15 million. But again, it was so genre changing that you knew that a sequel was going to be inevitable. And I I don't know if they had the sequel planned all along, but it was a pretty fast turnaround for coming up with a sequel that was one year later, you know, 1997, you got screamed too.
3: Actually, uh Kevin Williamson actually um t- when he sold this script, part of what he sold it with was treatments for scream two and three. Oh so he okay. put he built he built that package so when they bought it it was as a potential trilogy.
1: Okay, so they were already kind of ready to go.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh so the the actors that did carry over to Scream Two were Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette. They were basically became the, the backbone of this entire franchise were, besides Ghostface, were those three, and then you also did have Randy Meeks, uh, Jamie Kennedy's character, who also carried over, and then Cotton Weary came over with a little bit of a bigger role in this one than in the first one.
2: the The opening in this one, they did very much the same what they did with the original poster. They put Jade Pinkett Smith on the poster, and yet they killed her off in the prologue in the cinema. Uh, all I can say is uh, whatever knives they're using, they must be really, really strong to hammer through cubicles, um, toilets, dope walls, whatever they were. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, and unfortunately, that is one of the scenes that I do get mixed up with Scary Movie, but they didn't use yes. a knife in Scary Movie. <laughs> they they used a the male appendage, Jeff. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and that is one of the ones that was almost pretty much on the nose. Uh, copy that like every time i see that scene i think of the scary movie version more than i think of the scream 2 version much to the uh the the guy who sings american pie got upset with weird al yankovic because now all he hears is al yankovic's version of anakin this jedi guy more than he hears his own song that he wrote as
3: american pie (laughs) Well, I mean, I think that just speaks to the power of Scream itself and the whole concept, because if you think about it, Scream launched its own franchise, but it also launched the Scary Movie franchise
1: because those, really those spoof did.
3: movies had gone away for a little bit and it came up, it came back with Scary Movie. You're right. And I, I lost track of how many of those there were. They're still going. Still- <laughs> There's
2: There was five scary movies. There's- and of course, let's not forget that Scream was initially entitled scary movie. That's right.
1: Oh, I did not know that until Mario said that yesterday, that I had no idea that it was called scary movie.
2: Did anybody else find Jada Pinkett Smith's character incredibly fucking annoying inside (laughs) in the cinema at the beginning? Do you think that was
1: an artistic choice to be that she was going to be very pushy, so to speak, for as as a performance
2: I think so. And and she's so dismissive of horror as well.
1: Yeah. I, again, I wonder if that was the director's choice or uh, as the actor, if that was her choice. Yes. What are you playing? It came out pretty much like almost a year to the date, you know, one year later. So they must have, he must have had that really, really dialed in, ready to go. Like I said, we had the same, the actors that came out. Cotton Weary became a really big part. Of this second one. And then again. They really started to lean into. The family dysfunction. Of this. Because obviously that really was the spearhead. Of why Ghostface returned.
3: Well I think this movie honestly. Like Scream number number one is. Sort of like taking the piss out of horror movies. And this one is taking the piss out of sequels. That's the gimmick here. So everything that now they did in the first movie. Anything they sort of like reference or. Uh, you know Horror movie trope Has now been Converted into Okay what happens In sequels What's the sequel gimmick
1: You're right This is when we got The film on the film Right Because isn't this When they introduced The Stab series Which is basically Stab was
3: going on At this point So they were re, They were in the, They were in the process Of making a movie About the first movie In the second movie Was that ever really Even done before
2: It's, oh. it's like looking Into a mirror Looking into a mirror Looking into a mirror Is It's just It's like a, an ogre It has layers You know, like an onion <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: and i thought what was interesting here too is again you know the first film went with casting actors that were famous hot at the time memorable so you knew they weren't disposable so in the dab series they were booking people that were hot in the real world but then they were playing these this film in the film right so you had tori spelling and heather graham right the heather graham heather graham playing the part drew barrymore played so they were really again taking whoever was hot in hollywood at that time and sticking them in there that to make you feel like it's a very confusing franchise to talk about because like you said it gets so meta in these mirrors that you forget what are you really looking at here
3: and here's a piece of trivia and it's a shoot uh stab is directed by robert rodriguez And he actually directed the stab stuff for the movie. Really, I did not not
2: know that. Yeah, I I remember seeing the name on the screen, but I thought maybe it was just there as a nod to him. But I didn't know that he directed the actual stab. Yeah, yeah. He was, you
3: know, he was big in with Miramax and Dimension at the time, so they brought him in for
2: that. Oh yeah, yeah. And Luke Wilson is in there as well, of course, as the ski as as,
3: as
1: Billy. Yeah. Again, and I think that was that was all by all by design to carry over the essence of that first film. Uh, So our first, I don't, yeah, this was the first kill was Phil Stevens stabbed in the ear through the bathroom stall. Then you had Maureen, which I think was his girlfriend that stabbed in the back and then in the stomach multiple times and then like hacked up. And I thought that was, it was almost very telling that they really were, like you said, trying to take the piss out of the fear that was brought on by the first movie, because she was on the stage and they were basically cheering, you know, when she was dying, right? They just thought it was part of the show.
2: There is a very famous British comedian called Tommy Cooper, and he would continually prank the audience back in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And I think he died in, in, in the 80s, but he died on stage and they literally thought it was a prank. And I think
1: I remember reading about that.
2: Whilst he was dying, they were laughing their arses off in, in the, the in, in you know, in, in the seats and, and he died on stage. So it, it reminded me a little bit of, about that.
1: Yeah, it did have that same feel of just like to the point where it's just like if you keep crying wolf, nobody's going to be able to tell what's really going on.
2: Or just uh, some insane PR stunt.
1: So this one, for me, the one that I caught immediately as the meta nod to horror films is they reversed the order of the Friday the Thirteenth, you know, which ironically they used as a gimmick to kill the Drew Barrymore character in the first one, saying that who's the killer in Friday the Thirteenth. Jason, and like wrong, it was his mom. Now they flipped it and Billy Loomis was the killer in the first one, and then the second one, his mom was the killer, Debbie Loomis.
0: I was a good mother. You know what makes me sick? I'm sick to death of people saying that it's all the parents' fault that it all starts with the family. You want to blame someone, why don't you blame your mother? She's the one who stole my husband and broke up my family. And then you took talk- her. My son, you don't know what it is to be a mother.
2: That that that's that's a very good point. I, I didn't think of that either. Um, Tim the Oliphant is—he's almost as good as Matthew Lillard in the first one. You know? Right. He's, in fairness to him, he's not trying to be a duplicate or a copy of him, but he's very convincing. And and if you think about it. You see Debbie Loomis and um, Timothy Oliphant's character in the first 15 minutes. Um, I think you see all of the killers in in, in each movie in the first 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. Chris Craven
3: loves to tease the killers and give you clues. You know, like if you actually, jumping back to the original stream, if you you listen to some of the score, whenever uh, I think Billy's score, like his music is a version of Don't Fear the Reaper. Oh, I did not know that. He loves to telegraph that stuff.
2: And of course, mentioning scores and music, Scream series itself has its own song that's associated with it by Nick Cave, which is also the theme song for a very popular TV series called Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders has the same song that Scream has in every single movie which is by Nikiv.
1: This is one of the few sequels that they maintained Wes Craven. They maintained Kevin Williamson. So you were going to get that same, all the same gimmicks and nods and tricks that they were doing in the first one. You know, they were going to carry over to the second one. So that had to have been a conscious choice on their part.
3: I think they made one huge mistake and I don't know if this is Kevin Williamson, Wes Craven, somebody, but to me, this is where, the franchise kind of died for me because I think I, I like scream one and two, three and four. I can live without. I've said it before. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm in a scream mood, I'm going to watch those three and four. Don't make it, but they killed Randy. Oh, I agree. hundred Once Randy is gone, you've killed the audience. You've killed us off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, I think wow. that was a big mistake. I I don't think they should have gone that route. They should have maybe pulled a swerve, let him live at the end, just like they did with Dewey. But I think that just, that, that was the
2: end. Why are you even here, Randy? You'll never be the leading man. Fuck you! And then you talk about Dewey and the the stuff that he endured. I mean, at the beginning of the film, he looks like, with his jacket that he's wearing, he looks like a cross between Kaiser Soze and Walter White because of the way he's walking and then the colours he's wearing. But Dewey is tossed inside out, stabbed here, there, and everywhere. And yet he survives. And then, you know, as you say, that terrible mistake, they kill off Randy Meeks.
1: Yeah. And that was a pretty big, to me, the, the, you know, and I agree with you a hundred percent and his kill was very, a much more ambiguous, right? So you saw it happened in the van. They say he was stabbed four times in the chest and throat slit where when you saw the Dewey swerve, I mean, he got slammed up across the glass and you saw the blood come out of his mouth. I mean, that was a little bit more of the whole Hollywood rules. Like if you don't see it on camera, it didn't happen. You saw it happen with Dewey. So again, I don't know if that was a conscious choice. Yeah. You saw him die, but we're changing the rules. He didn't die. And you didn't really see with Randy kind of happened in the van and they could have definitely did a swerve with that. And it didn't, I, I agree with you hundred percent. It didn't work he was just as important as that core, even probably more so important than I would even say Gail and the Dewey characters. Like I know they have them in there for the love interest and they're tied together, but Randy Meeks was us and he was the one that was basically the narr- He could have been the narrator of this. He's the one that could have been explaining that. So that
3: was a huge mistake. Without him there for the third one to talk about trilogies, you just you didn't have a trilogy of these movies.
1: Yeah. And they I think they've realized that. And I don't know if they tried to fix it. And, you know, and then they gave him that one little scene that his sister It's like, well, we'll bring his sister back. And he recorded this before he died, you know, explaining the trilogies. But it felt like they were trying to shoehorn, basically duct tape with and fix what they
3: broke. That was them saying, damn, we shouldn't have killed Randy. How do we get him <laughs> back in the movie? <laughs>
1: <laughs> agree and, and the
2: way they kill him they kill him in broad daylight yeah you know, this for us now this almost primitive thing of going around searching people's mobile phones to see who may be ringing who you know off of what um and it's it's, it's inside in the middle of this park or whatever and he just gets pulled into the back of the tv the van. van and and then he's gone you know it's not in the darkness. It's not inside the creepy wood. It's in broad daylight. And yep, they get rid of our narrator. I don't know yeah. why. Yeah,
1: that was that was that was very unfortunate. And like you said, maybe that was a very early jumping of the shark than they expected.
3: Absolutely. That's that's Fonzie on the bike. Wait, does he do? Does he jump the shark on a bike or a surfboard? I can't. <laughs> oh remember. no! Yeah, uh, water, water skis. Water skis. Yeah. Water skis. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep there it was and uh, arthur being arthur Fondarelli being a part of this series it was ironic that they jumped it too early the budget was a little bit more 24 million and it made almost on the dot the same exact money i think it was 172 million versus the 171 million and it, it yeah. made a, it made a lot
3: more than that because i mean that's that's at the time also when dvds were huge Right. And DVDs were making more than the theaters at the time. So that, I mean, that stuff made a lot of money. That is
1: absolutely true. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. And I think that's just box office that it's yeah, that's counting, just but box not,
3: office.
2: not
1: counting like true profits. But in the end, they did stick to the two killer gimmick, Debbie Loomis. And it turns out to be that that was Billy Loomis's mom. Brendan, you were just talking, it was more peer pressure. They got the film nerd, you know, from the film theory class, right? Mickey, was he also... Peer pressured. I don't remember what his motive was for helping uh, Debbie Loomis.
2: His motive was he almost wanted to become famous for being a serial killer. He wanted to get caught. I've got my
0: whole defense planned out. I'm going to blame the movies.
2: When I was growing up as a kid and I was thinking about this when I watched Scream 2 um, over the last 48 hours, we would have watched Murder, She Wrote. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Angela Lansbury and everywhere Angela Lansbury went, somebody died. And when she found out who the killer was, the killer would then explain exactly why they did it to the very T. So Debbie Loomis comes in and she explains everything why she did it. You know, your mother did this to my husband and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, you've got uh, the Timothy Oliphant character who has this idea where he's going to become famous for being a serial killer. And Debbie Loomis says, oh, no, though, sorry, that's not part of the plan. And she just blows his head off. You know? yeah, and then she just whacks him. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy who comes up at the end shouting and roaring that he's not yeah. dead at all. And Debbie Loomis is just dead.
1: But she died the same way her son did, right? It was just another shot to the forehead to finish it off. I thought the Debbie Loomis character who was played by... yeah okay.
2: Metcalf.
1: Yeah. She, I thought she did great. She had a very crazy look to her to the point where you could have seen her playing Pamela Voorhees in the original Friday the 13th. She had the short hair, always like her eyes. She was always like in your face. She had a very psychotic vibe to her i was okay with this reveal of who the killer was in this
3: dude 100 we were just talking about this yesterday booking the friday the 13th reboot you just nailed it laurie <laughs> metcalf as pamela Voorhees. Text paramount right now <laughs> that's it True. man that's it yes. that's perfect you can see her They she goes blonde and they give her the sweater perfect
0: jason Mother is
2: talking to you. In many ways, you, you kind of feel sorry for her character that she's a wannabe Gail Weathers. She's working for what sounds like um, a very local newspaper that might have um, an audience of, I don't know, maybe 30,000 people, maybe even 15,000 people. But it's still, it's Craven just pulling one over on you by making you think less and less of this character um, whom we don't really know at all. We just know that she pops up here and there and or she gets the exclusive. But there are a lot of people who pop up out of nowhere when a murder happens within this movie, which makes you think, hang on a second. You know, the the Jerry O'Connell character pops up and she pops up. So, you know, everyone's a suspect. It's still the same thing. We're no wise as to who did it. That's Hmm. the
1: Scooby-Doo angle, right? That you go back and just like, oh, I remember them talking to them at an, and they popped up out of nowhere and then it turns out they were the killers and they would have got away with it, it wasn't for these- Kids and their so we got a three-year break after that right at 2000 we get scream 3 the difference being that this one was not written by kevin williamson but they did use like mario said they did use the treatment that he did provide as somewhat of a skeletal structure to work from so
3: well here's the thing that's actually you said scream 3 was 2000 right Yep. So like there's a thing, Scream 3 was actually sort of came along. There was sort of a movement against violence, <laughs> not, not like a violence, but we had like Columbine. We had started to have school shootings, started to have like murders and stuff like that. Right. So if you notice, Scream 3 is like really toned down as far as it's in it's upped in comedy.
1: This is when as as a society, as as a species, you're right. Uh, fear started to creep a little bit and stuff know, and was everybody- getting
3: stuff was getting really real.
1: Yeah, you had the whole creeping, the creeping vibe of the Y2K of people not knowing what was going to happen, you know, when the clock struck midnight on the year 2000. Maybe that was the beginning of the whole taming of taking chances
3: and cancel culture. They take the movie out of uh, the town. What is the town called? Oh, yeah. They got out of Woodsboro. Yep. And they go to L.A. It has nothing to do with high school kids. No high school kids are going to murder each other today, guys. Just, so you know, we don't do that anymore. You see, you see
2: what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, you're right. Because they went from high school to college to like, oh, let's just go to
2: L.A. But Scream 3 was set up to be the final Scream movie. Even the the tagline on, on one of the posters reads um, something to the effect of, uh, you know, the most uh, terrifying Scream is always the last or something to that. It's I'd say they wanted to try and wrap it, but I mean, look, it it was made for 40 million. There was 161 million returned, so they were kind of going to continue with it regardless. But everything was almost like, because you went back to the original, if you remember, with her half-brother saying that he had schooled Stu and Billy on what to do. So it was almost like closure, for the story
1: there wasn't a dual killer in this it was her her half-brother that she didn't know he existed and four years
0: ago I actually dragged her down knocked at her door thinking she'd welcome me with open arms but she had a new life and a new name Maureen Prescott you were the only child she claimed Sydney she shut me out in the cold forever her own son
2: it's the only one out of the four movies where they have one killer as opposed to two killers.
1: Right. But he did. De- I do remember you
3: saying that he took credit for uh, helping Billy and Stu. So for mm. me, for me, three is about one thing. This is the main thing about three. And I think this is where you're either on board or you're not. The voice changer gimmick. Yeah. They had that voice changer gimmick where you could, you know, you sound like anybody else. Thoughts That's... on that gimmick, guys.
2: I didn't like that. Yes, I, I, I agree. I feel I the same way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Cause you, you got less of Roger Jackson. And, and also the other thing was even today, and and I was looking it up to see if you could get a voice change or like it, um, just just for fun, you know. Um, there are ones out there for $30 or whatever, and all they'll do is make your voice sound a little bit high-pitched or alien or low-pitched, and that's it. Right. So... The fact that we're, we're 22 years ago, that somebody has a piece of equipment that can make them sound exactly like uh, someone else. I just thought, no, I'm not buying that.
3: Yeah, at the time. I mean, I think, I guess now you could maybe do it with deep fakes or something like that. Not, not exactly the same way, but I feel like that was just a piece of sci-fi tech that didn't even exist and required a whole lot of suspension of disbelief there. That was a big one to swallow. And I think... That's that's part of why I don't like this film. I mean, there's I I, I think overall it's probably the weakest out of all of them. But yeah, that voice changer gimmick was just like, oh man, I don't know. Even that looking back, it's kind of cringe.
2: Forty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes for Scream Three. So it's the bastard son of the the quintology or whatever you want to call no quadrology, will ya? So it's, uh, yeah, the worst rated movie over the whole lot. I got to say, watching the four back to back, I struggled with three.
1: You felt like it was losing steam. They lost, you know, they lost Kevin Williamson as the writer. Now you have somebody else trying to push forward. I think the meta stuff was getting too, too meta. In Scream universe, they were on Sc- stab
3: three, right?
2: So uh, oh no, the the opening is actually where Cotton Weary. Oh, is, that's right. His Jeep. Um, that's the, the thing. Famous. This one has
3: a completely different style of opening. It's like so. It so doesn't fit within within you know the the, the sort of like format they built for the first two movies. The Cotton Weary thing is just it's not the same.
2: No.
1: Yeah, because he went from, you know, he was framed in the first one to the second one. He was still kind of being framed, but then they gave him the a chance to be a hero. And then in this one, he gets uh, the best talk show name for somebody named Cotton. 100% Cotton is yeah. his talk show name. But then he gets whacked. You know, he just he just gets done in. So I guess that was his way of exiting this series. It wasn't as telling as the other ones like, whoa, this is there's something going on here. Now you're like, okay, now they're just trying to find a way to get him out of the franchise. Yeah.
2: I I felt it got very soap opera as well with the reveal at the end. You know, oh, I'm actually your half-brother. It was like, you know, that. do do you still have days of our lives in America? (laughs) I believe it's still on.
1: (laughs) I think it's still going.
2: Fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) We we have something similar in Ireland called Fair City. Uh, We call it Fair Shitty. (laughs) You know? <laughs> so, Scream Three happened, and then how
3: long before Scream Four? Eleven years. We had a break after. Yeah, that it took an eleven-year break.
1: Yeah, they were on the the cuspice of the whole. Let's revisit this franchise. You know, that's been put to. I mean, you got a ten-year break from people forgetting how that first one went down. Did horror movies get a break? Did horror movies kind of go away for a little bit? Well, it depends on what you consider the horror movies, because right it went through a slashers, couple of I guess. Slashers.
3: Slashers kinda of went away. Yeah, we, slashers we, went yeah. away.
1: Cause you went through the, you know, a big phase of like the Japanese horror movies, right? Then you had, you know, like the grudge the and then the ring. Yeah, and then you had the hostels and then you had the torture porn stuff. And yeah.
3: so we've so moved yeah. on from Scream at this point, and it's eleven years later. Right.
2: Because the the, the prologue to Scream Four is—it's not one of my favorites, even though it tries to be clever, because again, it's a movie within a movie within a movie. Um, she says, "There are two girls. We're going to watch a scary movie. What are we going to watch?" And she says something like Saw Four. And she says, "Oh, I'm fed up with those torture porn movies. You know, I think it just tried too hard."
3: Yeah, they did the movie within a movie twice like a double double triple yeah. swerve and it's kind of like this is a bit much i yeah, get i get what they were going for but it was um yeah it didn't work for me
2: no not for me either but yeah they they did make reference to what movies had been there for the last 10 years in the absence of scream they they talked about torture porn movies and and saw so, um but then it just got a little bit ridiculous um until you eventually have you know what happens to open this film. Oh, and by the way, um what's his name? Uh, Dewey Riley seems to be moving around fa- fairly. It doesn't seem to be much with his ambulance uh, walking around the place as Sheriff of Woodsboro and Scream 4.
1: Right, yeah, and then he had, his deputy was kind of like the Red Herring, right?
2: The interesting thing about Scream 4, it was set up to be a brand new trilogy. So Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson, by the way, unfortunately, it's the last film that Wes Craven directed, but they made it for a budget of 40 million. The return was 97 million. So it's the poorest return for any screen movie. And they were going to set up a brand new trilogy, but the returns came in and they were like, no, sorry, box office isn't enough. Um, Allegedly... When they revealed the killer at the end, they were going to let that killer go and have that killer continue on for two more movies, where there would be some copycat type ghost face blackmailing the killer. So, how was I'm trying to remember now? How was this movie
3: different? What was the gimmick here? We're ten years after Scream, so what did they do different exactly? How did they approach it? Were they doing the sort of like webcam stuff yet in this movie,
2: or what was? What yes, was, they were, and. You know. and if you think about it, I had been on Facebook for two years before this movie came out. So I remember joining Facebook in 2009 and we're, we're in 2011 and there's a lot of social media used in this. There's a character in it who is uh, vlogging an awful lot. They have their own movie club, which, by the way, rather than having, they have a lot of posters on the wall. They've got John Carpenter's The Thing and then they've got Rob Zombie's Halloween. A poster of that on the wall. More Miramax movies. Like social media is in its infancy, really, when it comes to Scream 4. So it was groundbreaking, really.
0: A fucking Facebook killer? You're kidding me, right? I guess now it would be Twitter. that make more
2: sense. 61% of Rotten Tomatoes, so, you know, reception wasn't bad.
1: You wouldn't consider it a fail, but you would consider it that they were not willing to gamble on it. Other than the, that you know, the Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, keeping that together. They, they stuck to the gimmick of booking, you know, the new hotness at the time. You had Emma Roberts, Hayden Penn and Terry, save the cheerleader, save the world, you know, and then they had the, on those swerves, you had Anna Penguin Pank, and Kristen Bell. So they were putting yeah. these very familiar faces in there. It was, again, they've got so meta and so clever that, you know, and, they made three lefts and ended up exactly where they were in the beginning. But now they are the ones, instead of pointing out, hey, this is a work. They're the ones that are being worked.
2: They tried to recreate the original in that Hayden Panettaire was Randy Meek's character. Right. She, yeah, she knew an awful lot about horror films. And she was being quizzed at one point, if you remember, what's Jason's weapon? And then, of course, she gets caught with what's the original slasher movie she gets caught with that one.
1: You know, Mario, you said this the the plan was that she was going to be the final girl that was going to yeah. they were passing the torch to her.
3: She would be the new lead character of the of the trilogy.
1: And the, the the family dysfunction that stayed the same was the Emma Roberts, you know, character was Jill was Sydney's cousin revealed that she was the killer and the only reason she was really just doing it was for fame. I mean, we're you talking Al Pacino you know, devil's advocate, vanity's my favorite sin. That's a, a motive to go on a killing spree of 15 different people in this film.
2: There, there was actually very good foresight in that idea 10 years ago, because, I mean, I bought my first smartphone in 2011. I, I had an analog phone prior to that. So, you know, I, I don't know about you guys in, in Texas, but certainly here in Ireland, a handful of my friends would have had smartphones in, um, 2010. My first smartphone was an iPhone 4s. So she says at the end, you know, in order to become famous, she had to do all this fucking shit, you know, by yeah. killing people. And, you know, she didn't want friends. She said she wanted fans that that was her line. I remember Emma Roberts.
1: I never really thought of that. That was the beginning of, the social media error where anybody can become famous. If you have a camera and you point your face at it. Right. So yeah. this was social media scream, Essentially that's the spin here. Yeah. yeah. But a little bit too early.
2: Like if you just quickly go back to scream three for a second, there's a clip in it where Patrick Dempsey's character asks, um, Dewey Riley, uh, he's deputy Kincaid asks, Dewey Riley, can I borrow your cell phone? You know? If you asked somebody today, could you borrow their cell phone, they'd say, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> they so paranoid. That's a scam for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> Are you kidding me? People murder you.
0: Everybody, the phone, dick!
3: Everybody was saying that Stu was going to be the killer. The original screen pitch and how Kevin Williamson turned it. Ideas for three movies. It was a trilogy, planned trilogy. Yes. And in the, in the third one, it was going to be Stu coming back.
1: If you see it happen, whether it's on TV or screen, it did happen. But if you don't see the death, it didn't happen. We saw him die, but it was always very questionable. This was a CRT tube. It wasn't an LCD. It wasn't a flatty. Could you die with the TV falling on your face?
3: Those old TVs were heavy. <laughs> Sorry, not today. Not today, like you would damage uh, uh, one of the modern TVs with your, your face, your, just face go through, through da- it.
1: <laughs> your face would damage the modern TV. And they said that he was still breathing. So we saw a lot of fake outs on YouTube, a lot of fake outs of basically saying Stu is behind it all. But spoiler, that didn't happen. So
3: what did you think of the movie then?
1: I did like it. I think what they could have done is they probably could have skipped 3 and 4, and they could have made this the third one and, and jumped forward. They opted not to do the Halloween route of saying, nothing happened after Halloween 1 except this. They didn't do the alternate universe. 3 and 4 were still canon, and then they went to this. I liked it, but I don't know how they can continue this series. I don't know how they can. Well, continue. I mean, they made a lot of money, so they're going to. They're going to they're gonna they're find out a way. they definitely going to is the scooby-doo gimmick going to get old are they going to have to find a way to get out of that corner of two killers and it could be anybody
3: i think something's got to change well let me just say the movie itself didn't do a whole lot for me i can't say it It was fine i guess i have a lot of issues and we'll, we'll as we'll go through it a little bit but i just i didn't really get anything from it it was just another for me it was another rehash yada 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 and it's in. It's over.
1: I'm a huge fan of, and now more than ever, this was my favorite part of the new film, was Mikey Madison, who played Amber. She was awesome. And I just literally did the same thing that Brad Pitt did to her in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I remember your little white face. That's the first thing I did when I saw her. And did you notice? Tons of Easter eggs in here, but it was great. They had two Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Easter eggs. I didn't get those. What were they? She got set on fire. And that's how she died in Scream. She's the one that got blowtorched in the pool.
3: Oh, and Once Upon yeah, a yeah, Time yeah. in Hollywood. No, I
1: got, I got that. And then remember, she did the same thing when she jumped up with the knife and she went through the window. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, she did the same
3: thing in this. She freaking popped up with the knife again after she was set on fire. So is this a fourth-level meta kind of <laughs> thing? Because when she pops up as a suspect, she's obviously a suspect, and you're just like in your brain, wait, she was the one that was going to kill Sharon Tate, and she got torched by Leonardo DiCaprio. How is she not the killer? That's what you need to prove to me and now, I- movie. That's obviously the killer.
1: She has that very exotic look. You, I remember your white little face. Did you suspect the other killer, though?
3: Yeah, kind of. You did? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, who else who else was it gonna be? Those were clearly the two most obvious suspects. The only thing I didn't expect was that they'd be working together.
1: Yeah, that was a little bit of a stretch, right? It's like, hey, we met online and we're we're both disgruntled fans of the stab franchise. They didn't like the way the sequels went, so they made a sequel IRL and they met like on a message board. He went out of his way to go like hook up with Billy Loomis's mysterious unknown daughter. I'm going to get this job in a bowling alley and I'm going to bang Billy Loomis's daughter and then they were going to... Tr- so that was a little bit of like, okay, now you're really going to have to put a lot of pieces together to keep that going.
3: What did you think of de-aged Skeet Ulrich <coughs> visions as a plot device?
1: Did you expect them to turn Billy Loomis' quasi-baby face? No.
3: That came out of nowhere for me. Yeah. And I can't remember in what order it was in the movie, whether we saw him first or she explained it first, but... No, we saw him first before it was explained that she was the daughter. Anyway, she goes into this really long five-minute explanation of how they are recalling the movie. Yeah. I'm Billy Loomis's daughter. And it's just like, the whole, when she's reading it the whole time, I'm just like, What? <laughs> this is this is a it, it's a, I mean I get it but it, the movie paused for 5 minutes to explain to you how the movie was going to be yeah. you know what I mean and it didn't really there was no, it wasn't like revealed to us organically it was just hey audience just so you know here's what the movie is I'm Billy Loomis's daughter you yeah. know what I mean
1: we stayed for the live Q and a on the premiere and Kevin Williams and says like, I, I want way more screams. I'll take those screen checks. So Why they're not?
3: getting, them. I don't even
1: have to show up for work. Just yeah. send them. <laughs> Just get that mailbox money.
3: I feel like this was another instance of a movie written by a computer program. Like when, um, what was it? Sheriff Judy. Yeah. Sheriff Judy. Gets killed. I felt like the computer, the algorithm was just thinking, "Oh, you know what? Like people who like the original scream, they all have kids in high school now. So I'm gonna do this angle where like someone from the old movies has a kid in high school, and he's gonna get killed, and he's the victim, and you know what I mean?" That was and a little bit. They were like spinning a- that up for 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 that particular portion of the audience.
1: She was the swerve when she first appeared as well. That you thought she might be the killer. Yeah. So I thought there was a little bit of a swerve there. And I don't
3: think she was over enough to really matter that she got killed, right?
1: No, no. I mean, her her son was part of the new Scooby gang, Wes Hicks, named after Wes Craven. But he got the naked shower scene. Instead of having a girl in the shower, he had Wes Hicks in the shower. And they were going to really start to play on that psycho vibe there i guess and then they both got whacked
3: i wasn't cool on the names of people i gotta i have to soapbox this for a second cut a promo on it the two leads there the two female leads are clearly hispanic and they're both named carpenter so I'm just like, okay, I get you're gonna reference John Carpenter. I get them. I get that. Yeah. But they're clearly Hispanic. Once you let them rep that, you can, why can't they be Rodriguez or Del Toro or Alvarez or something like that? You know what I mean? Right. There's 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 Mexican horror directors out there. Just look. Just Google it. Something a little bit different was they had
1: the same type of opening, and the final girl was actually the opening girl, and somehow the final girl survived all the way to the end. Which is very rare for the opening sacrificial girl to become actually one of the final girls. They did a four-horsemen style, right? You had four survivors, even though they were getting stabbed like crazy. Everybody was getting stabbed and shot, and everybody still uh, took one, took one to the lung. But they were still all walking
3: around. They really they doing the very intentional stabbing, just like, oh, like yeah. they're aiming for a specific part of the body or something like that.
1: I guess what made it always work was it's very real feeling. Because it's always so sloppy. They are trying to hit in specific spots, but again, that's why it feels like Scooby-Doo 2. It's like, oh, I kind of stabbed you in the right spot, but I kind of missed. And now I tripped and fell down the stairs, and it's always like limbs going
3: everywhere. So what did you think about their reasoning for doing the kills? I felt battle?
1: like it was a retread, because isn't that, well, wasn't that the reason in 4? In See, with you,
0: the world just heard about what happened, but with us... They're going to see it. It's going to be a worldwide sensation. I mean, people got to see this shit. It's not like anyone
1: reads anymore. They know one of their most powerful characters was Randy Meeks, killing him in two. And then, like, we need more film nerds to come back. And now his his nephew and niece are in that. Before she was doing it to become infamous. And these guys were doing it to become infamous while trying to redo uh, their favorite film series, and actually give it a good sequel.
3: Yeah, I think part 1 was Revenge, part 2 was Revenge. Revenge. Now we're cooking, huh? Part 3 was I don't know what the Part no, part 3 was Revenge. Yep. Part 4 was Fame. She wanted fame. And then this one was like the the toxic fandom, which to me, I got to be honest, that just felt ha ha, ha the problem is you audience. Yeah. <laughs> You're the reason
1: movies suck. Just have the freaking movie the whole time. Every once in a while, Nelson just pops on the screen.
3: <laughs> it's because of you that movies suck, audience. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll take your money, though. They talked about that in the Q&A. Like, no, that wasn't by design, and we hope it didn't come off as mean-spirited just because there's a couple of toxic fans out there that we we don't mean that to be everybody. I'm not talking about you. It's somebody else you don't know.
3: Look, bro, don't blame <laughs> us because your movies suck. That's yeah. on you. I was not a fan of that particular twist. And again, it was the most obvious suspects I felt like.
1: Well, here's the thing. This was the only one that there wasn't family. I guess that was the closest you had to swerve, right? Because you had Billy, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the accomplices, just the family connection. So you had Billy, then you had Billy's mom, then you had Sydney's half-unknown brother, and then it was Sydney's niece... The one that was going for fame, right? It was Yeah. And now this one was just two two randos that liked this the film series.
3: Maybe Sydney's the problem. Maybe know. you're the problem, Andrew Lansbury.
1: R.I.P. That's
3: deep cut. Yeah, that's deep cut. For most folks.
1: In the end though, I was I was happy with it. I don't know if I necessarily want to see another one. But maybe here's the pitch. What does Scream Six look like? Or just you're gonna have to have to me, my quick pitch is it it is gonna have to be an encapsulated trilogy that has nothing to do with the Scooby gang.
3: Number 1, they just they made the second biggest mistake they've ever made in Scream in this movie is in that they killed Dewey. Yeah. Okay, now you've killed the you've killed every, that's it. There's no one else to care. Didn't you get the feeling that Courtney Arquette and uh Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell? Nev Campbell, yep. They just kind of strolled in for a cameo. Remember at the end of the movie, they're just chilling on the back of the ambulance, just like whatever, bring me bring me my grilled cheese sandwich. If anybody's gonna keep fighting the scream, it's Dewey. So why do you kill him? Kill yeah. fucking Nev kill the rest of them.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like they could have definitely flipped the script and uh, Courtney Cox could have could have been the one that took the blade.
3: I think Google had a better idea. It should have been Courtney Cox who was the actual killer at the end one more thing i gotta cut a promo on yeah, this cut. i think do it melissa barrera is great in the movie but she's too good in the like she's like stunning to look at she's way too attractive no, there's nobody like you wouldn't believe she was from woodsboro at all and her, she's just got a really serious face doing the horror as a shoot she doesn't have a, there's no sense of humor behind it you know what i mean yeah so i just thought that was kind of it was she's good in it but i just i don't know that they utilize that
1: i like to meet her mom who Billy hooked up. Did they at least go back and kind of retrocon an Easter egg that you, we saw the mom in scream one, or is it like a different school, different district?
3: Uh, who knows? I don't even know. No, I, I I'm guessing that if we get a part two, she went to school with Sydney and you know, we'll get de aged Sydney in like classroom flashbacks where she's in the back of the room getting it's, picked on or something. I was happy with the de aging of, of Billy
1: for sure. It was kind of creepy. It worked pretty well. I guess they're going to continue to go meta because that's the gimmick. Maybe it's a whole movie of, if you make this movie, I'm going to freaking kill you. Nobody wants to see it. And then every time somebody tries to write a new Scream sequel script... They get murdered. So, yeah. No, don't make sequel. No,
3: here's my pitch <laughs> something about the new scream, yada, 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 and someone leaks the ending, so someone goes to kill a bunch of YouTubers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's why we wear, wear masks. That's right. Yeah, we don't want the ghost face coming for us, but I think they need to do something like that. Dewey was the most organic connection to Randy Meeks to keep it. I know, you know, we watched uh, Sydney become the Danzel and Distressed to the actual of course i'm sydney prescott i got a gun she can take care of herself you would almost have to she would almost have to become the obi-wan and just like distance herself from the whole ghost face she's never in danger but maybe she's trying to help the people in danger that's
3: fine she can pull that off but like yeah i think if i'm if i'm booking this I think Courtney Cox is more disposable than David Arquette, so 100%. they should have. She should have gotten her kill. She they should. I think I would rebook that. Let her let her kill. And then Dewey forever is tortured because he couldn't protect her. Yada yada, like something like that. Like oh, it's not. Yeah. It's just. I, I think they really just. I think killing Dewey was was a waste.
1: That was a big mistake because he was already. You saw he was tormented. He was tortured. He was forced to retire. He couldn't handle it in New York, so he ran there. Because he thought maybe she was too much for him. And she could have proved her love for him by taking the blade for him. And like you said, and then that would have been Yeah, some, that, would have, that would have been good. Because now you reverse it. Like, I'm supposed to protect you. And now you jumped in front of the bullet to protect me. And then she'd be like, I know you always thought you weren't good enough for me. But that's how I prove that you are good enough for me. That I'm willing to take a bullet from you. And then she died. She dies a hero. <laughs>
2: Scream 2022, it's got good reviews, 76% on Rotten Tomatoes, four stars on Empire Magazine. In terms of the, the future of Scream, a budget of 24 million in the middle of a pandemic where movie returns are being obliterated. If this can even make 100 million, which it, it probably will, you, you saw Halloween Kills making 60 million over the, the October weekend when it came out. So this isn't the last Scream movie.
0: Careful. This is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life, for one last scare. <mumbles> <accompagnated> mm-hmm. What are you doing? What? Head! him in the head! <ulpaudio> Not in my movie.